All right, here we go. It's good to it's good to see you back. You know, people will trickle in as they go. Um, but in any case, welcome back. Um, just a little prayer to start. Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy. So we'll talk about that in just a second. I was um, wondering today and yesterday as I was trying to put all this together, my pile of things just grows bigger and bigger, you know, um, there are two or three articles and book reviews on anxiety in the Wall Street Journal this week. The New York Times ran some stuff. I think even Barron's had a bit on, you know, anxiety there, during the week. You just you just sort of see it everywhere. And so I was wondering whether any of this was actually clear to you, you know, we were trying to do. But it, it basically, you know, I think about it in this way. Over the past year, I've bumped into so many people who were in utter despair. And, you know, with COVID and all the rest, it's been, you know, amplified, you know, 10 or 100 times for many people. And in some cases, it felt as if people would never get out of it. In other cases, people manifested uh, that despair as fear um, and sometimes even panic. But then also they would manifest it as worry or anxiety where nothing becomes enjoyable because everything is worrisome. And these are all very real things. If you've ever had a panic attack or if you've ever had um, uh, deep anxiety, it's, it's not to be trifled with or, or to be taken lightly. But there is a way out, and that's always the hopeful thing. And so what I've tried to do across the first few times of getting together is to introduce you to people who by rights should be quite afraid or in despair or could actually give up on life, but instead just the opposite has happened. So if you think about um, where we've been, the people that we've met, you know, we, we, we started with a man in prison who was ultimately tortured to death and then, then a man in hospital uh, who's a bright light there, but eventually dies. And then a couple of guys with restless hearts. And if you've had a restless heart, uh, especially a restless spiritual heart, it's, it's uh, very difficult and consuming. We met uh, some people who got overmatched. They got more of what they wanted than they knew what to do with. So on transfiguration, um, the three disciples are overwhelmed by holiness. And then uh, last week, there was the invitation from the fox in the little prince to look beyond the horizon. The essential things in life are invisible. And so one of the many stories of people in scripture being surrounded by angels. Tonight, uh, we'll meet a woman who is absolutely undone. She's literally out of her mind with grief and fear and concern, in this case for a child, but also uh, up against uh, a sinful world. And again, she, 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 she gets out of it. And so we'll look at how that happens. In the weeks to come, what I want to do is then... So these are, so far we've done these very big things where people are in deep despair or, or frightened to death or think the end is, is near. 
in the weeks ahead, I, I want to look at some of the things that are maybe at that next level down. So I want to look at people who are brokenhearted or people who are lonely or people who are just um, anxious all the time. And those stories are also in scripture. But for all of these stories, and this is sort of the punchline and the thing that I want to try to drill into you is for all of these stories, there's a fairly simple cure. And the cure is the love of Jesus, especially as that love of Jesus is touched to you. Um, I was trying to think of metaphors or, or analogies to use for this, but it's, um, it's a bit like, you know, oil displaces water. If you have a cup of water and fill it full of oil, the oil is actually displaced. Or I was thinking today, I'm musing about Jesus as a crowbar, you know, um, with the leverage to move things off and away from you. But you might find your own way to think about it. But the basic notion is that the touch of Jesus can soothe and cure you. Now, this isn't a thing that just happens magically or automatically, because as we've seen over the stories we've already done, it doesn't take much uh, to resist Jesus. So, you know, a simple lie, Jesus doesn't love me. That's enough to keep us in fear and push love away. So, you know, the trick to life is to live within the love of Jesus. That's really about all you need to know. And so when Jesus touches you with his love, the hope is to embrace that and rejoice in that and stick with it. Um, in these very dramatic stories we've read in the beginning, and again tonight, um, there's always an immediate decision or an immediate cure. Sometimes that happens for you. But uh, very often, I think the stories to come will be the stories that will resonate more. I know some of you have dodged death. I know some of you have had um, very bad experiences from which you've come back. You know, some of you, I know of you have died and come back to life. And, you know, that's, that's, that's one story of life. But in the future, we'll look at some which are more grinding, uh, things that wear us down over time. But the answer will still be the same. And tonight, I want to just explore that answer a little bit. So this sort of cheeky title, why not make Jesus be your savior? Uh, as if you can make Jesus do anything. So, you know, you know, can you do that? And the truth is, you, you can make Jesus. You can push him around a bit and uh, make him be for you. And we'll read a story about that. Um, I know of a man who had dabbled in the occult and uh, was thought it wasn't much until he was attacked by a demon and he was saved simply by uttering one of the prayers that I'd given you before, Lord help. Right. And so each, each time we've met, I've tried to give you a very short prayer, Lord, as you will. And as you know, have mercy, Lord help, Lord help. Um, it's Scott, right? Or um, Lord, save. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. And especially as I've talked to people, I've, I've run into so many people who can't sleep these days. Almost two or three a week, I talk to people who sleep has become the new luxury and quite sought after. There's 
Ariana Huffington quits the quits the paper business in order to go into the sleep business, for goodness sakes, um, and mattresses and pillows and all the rest. But you know, this deficit of sleep it's it's so um, so difficult for folks. And what I've urged you to do is with these little prayers is to say them over and over again. Um, you know, say them a hundred times, say them a thousand times. If you get tired of saving them, count them. Um, you'll find out that you'll end up sleeping and it'll be better for you than it was before. So a story tonight who, uh, about a woman whose daughter is spared by this very simple prayer that's fun from forever in the church. And we say it every Sunday, Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. So um, what's the basis for all this? You know, a couple of very simple texts. First John is um, one of the most beautiful books in the Bible, this lovely beginning, beloved, let us love one another for love is of God. And he who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God for God is love. Uh, one of the great mistakes of pastors these days as the church is increasingly pressured is anger with people who are sinners rather than love for them. So a lack of compassion rather than a deep compassion and the inability to understand anybody just not like us. And that forgets the notion that the church is meant to, to seek and to serve. The church is meant to love. The church is meant to be otherworldly. It's meant to look different. That's true for me as a pastor. It's true for all of you as disciples of Christ. But if you can keep this simple thing in front of you, that God is love, this is the basis of everything. And I have a typo there. This is the one thing always to know. And you remember a couple of weeks ago from the story of the transfiguration, everything you need to know is in one verse, Matthew 17, 7, Jesus came. So you know what? Jesus always makes the first move. God always makes the first move. God always moves toward us. The way of the gospel is from God to us. Jesus came to them and he touched them, that beautiful word, Hoptimai, which is where we get hoptics for your, for your iPhone. But it's the word that doesn't just mean that he touched them, but the touch itself bestows change, bestows uh, you know, activity, bestows life, bestows action. And he said, resurrected, rise. This is the word that's used just a little farther down in the story when Jesus says, don't, don't tell anybody about this until I'm risen from the dead. Same, same word. So Jesus comes to them and he touches them and he resurrects them. And then he says to them, this thing that he says over and over again, no, no fear, have no fear. You remember, this is the word that's used, you know, on the water when the boat's going to sink. You know, this is the word when the angels come over and over, you get this notion of no fear. And, you know, we say to ourselves, everybody is so afraid right now. How is it that you could have no fear? And really the answer is in, the gospel is touch, that Jesus comes to you and Jesus touches you. And with his touch, Jesus shows you that he loves you. And with that loving touch, he changes you. And with that touch, he surrounds you with angels. And with that touch, Jesus goes back down the mountain with you. And so you're never alone and you're never unloved. And you're, you're not going to die from the 
troubles of the world. And if you do die, um, congratulations, um, you beat us all to heaven. So, you know, this touch of the Lord is is creative and resurrecting and embracing and soothing and healing and changing, which, you know, this is why, you know, why would you ever skip church, right? Because the the church is full of touches, a good church. And you can think about St. John in this way. And if we don't do this, then nobody should come. But if we do do this, everyone should come. What what St. John should just be one touch after another of I love you, I embrace you, I resurrect you, I'm with you all in the name of Christ. And that can't just be from the, the pastors, we're not good enough to bear that. It needs to be from us, of course, but it also needs to be from all of you. Most importantly, it needs to be from the font, that's why you have a giant font. It needs to be from the altar, that's why the majestic altar with the icon. It needs to be from the cross, it needs to be from the pulpit, it needs to be from the lectern. Everything we do needs to be this touch, either the touch to your eardrums or the touch to your tongue, touch to your skin. Everything is this touch of love. And when people say, you know, why don't people come to church? Um, Very often it's because they don't think that's what they're going to get. They think they're going to get something else. I mean, Kleinig's thing about why children don't come to church. It's not because they don't like church. It's not because they hate you or they, it's that they've, they've often done something that's against their conscience and, um, they don't know if you'll love them anymore. Or they've often been to so many churches where people were so um, difficult with them that it's not worth one more time of wondering if somebody will actually care for them. But this is the scriptures. This is the only story in scripture that God wants all his children home again. Um, so for all of you, you know, go home. But it's a long way between now and then, and that explains I think why sometimes we feel a bit challenged. So the question is then, you know, how can we go forward without fear? And in the weeks to come, um, how do we go forward with kind of its lower level derivatives with anxiety or with um, a bit of despair or with just worry about our own lives and about other people? So here's the answer. Um, Perfect love casts out fear. Um, I was once asked to preach for a wedding using this text. And, um, you know, I began, you know, when I was younger, I was braver. Now, you know, I'm just killing time, right? But when I was younger, uh, you know, I preached from this text and I started by saying, if perfect love casts out fear, you two should be very, very afraid. Now, those are back in the days when I didn't mind if the bride's mother's eyes crossed as she looked at me. But But now I'm, you know, closer to retirement and trying to preserve my pension. And so, you know, no trouble, you know, no harm, no foul. But um, there it still is. Perfect love casts out fear. And you say to yourself, you know, can it really be that that simple, that um, God is love and that perfect love casts out fear? Can it really, really be that simple? Um, oh, for goodness sakes, I missed the line of the night. I already had the Piros engaged here. Um, I had, I had said, uh, um, well, I wonder how you think about me sometimes. I, I know a, a guy who was in therapy and, uh, in a group therapy situation, a good friend of mine, and he was describing it to me where a very competent therapist was using all sorts of theoretical language to describe what was going on with all the people in the group. And there was sort of, um, 
you have to almost have lived in New Jersey to feel this, but the Puros will understand. There was, there was a guy from New Jersey who said, you know, and I, I will not attempt to, um, there are two things I won't try to do here. I'm going to try not to uh, use a Jersey accent. And the other thing I'm going to do is try not to swear because this is a way better story if you swear. And I've been thinking about it all night, whether I should do that, but you know, It'll only be an accident if it happens. So hopefully there'll be elders who bail me out. This guy says in a thick New Jersey accent to the therapist in front of the whole group, that's all good in theory, but I want some answers, right? And that's kind of the sense I get of people around here. You know, the church is filled with theory, but, um, but we want some answers. So here's the answer. Um, you can't fix yourself because you're the problem. And we can't empty ourselves of fear because, you know, um, we're the trouble, but we, we can be emptied. And so um, it's the divine love of Jesus that does the work. It's the divine touch that empties us. Now, you, saying that to anybody but you who are, you know, have some tie to Wheaton, Illinois, where everybody is still kind of a Christian, um, that will find that will seem very strange. But all I've got is stories, and all I've got is touch. And they're not my stories, and it's not my touch, so I'm much more confident in them them than I'd normally be. But it is fascinating how people respond to the inspirited stories of Scripture or the divine touch that comes through the sacraments. So um, the trick to a fearless life is the touch of God. And if we, you know, reread the scriptures and rehear the stories and go to the liturgy, um, and even, you know, the daily Eucharist, I, you know, I long to be back with you for the daily Eucharist. I mean, the daily Eucharist saved my life. That, that was a thing that changed me. The two greatest changes in my life um, spiritually have been, uh, at least, and certainly as a pastor, is when my first parish went from occasional communion to weekly communion. And when St. John went from weekly communion to daily communion, because there, there isn't anything, as Herman Sasse said, the Eucharist is Christ. So every time you're there, it is the touch of Christ. So God is love. Perfect love casts out fear. And there is no fear in love. Um, in Norman Nagel's collected sermons, there's a great Latin sermon that, and these, these things are, when I read them, I haven't known him. I um, always see so many things between the lines, but there's a great line in one, one of his Lenten sermons from long ago, where he says, all fear is self-appealing. And that's, you know, that's straight Luther stuff. Luther says, you know, when we sin, it's because we're curved in on ourselves. And then Luther says, all, so all sin is inside curved in. And then he says, um, all salvation is extra nos, the Latin for outside of us. So if we look in, that's the end of us. And if we look up and out to the cross, all is well. So um, faith agrees with the fact that Jesus seeks me and Jesus loves me. And um, that's all good in theory, but, but here's an example, right? So you know this story, but this is the story about a woman who made Jesus be her savior. He pushes Jesus around a little bit. Uh, 
and you can push Jesus around a little bit too. So Matthew 15, you know this story. Jesus was um, moving down the road and he went to Tyre and Sidon. Now, that's one of the few times that Jesus goes outside Jewish territory into Gentile territory. And the Canaanite woman, so that would be the kind of woman who worships idols and um, takes the Jews for her enemies. Um, A Canaanite woman, but she's a local, so she's got a bit of status. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came came to him crying out. And just for fun, you know, the the Greek there is kradso, which has to be the word that underlies our English word crazy. So this is like, she's kradso. She's, you know, she's undone. And if you've ever had a child who's been really, really hurt, uh, or someone dear to you who's been really, really hurt, you, you know what this feeling is. You are undone. You are, you can't control it. It's, it's, it, it, it's expressive. It's excessive. It does, it, it works on its own. And this is the word for, um, that's also used for when a raven shrieks, right? So it's like an animal or a bird shrieking. So this woman comes, so crying out just doesn't do this justice. This woman is, out of her mind, right? And the strange thing she says, like the guy attacked by the demon, Lord, have mercy. Lord, son of David. And this is a woman who doesn't believe in David or his son. She's a Gentile, not a Jew. She wouldn't say King David is my king. But when you are reduced to nothing, You'll do anything. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. And so your prayer tonight when you can't sleep, Lord, have mercy. Kyrie eleison, just as a sidebar, um, say it out loud, unless uh, you are, you know, in bed with somebody who's going to wake up then. But I'm actually being serious. Move your lips. This was the tradition of the church for the first three or 400 years. In fact, there's a story about St. Ambrose in Milan. Um, some, he was at prayer and some of his uh, disciples looked through the door and they were astonished by the fact that his lips weren't moving. And he sort of introduced silent prayer. Um, they, they didn't know what to make of that. Now, you've heard me say in the past that your prayers are privileged communication. Your prayers are like, you know, Your prayers are like a copper wire, but they're wrapped with insulation. So anything you say to the Lord, even when you're crying out, when you can just complain about things, you're telling the devil exactly where to attack you. But when you wrap those laments or those complaints in a prayer, the devil doesn't know what to do with that, doesn't hear it, and that's privileged communication. But one step further than that is if you want to drive the devil crazy, and crazy in this sense mean to push him away, say your prayers out loud, and the Lord will allow those prayers to be heard. Um, You know, the reason we wear vestments, the reason we have a crucifix, the reason we use incense, the reason we pray out loud is all the same reason. Jesus loves it, and the devil hates it. That's the simple reason we do all those things. Why do we have beautiful things rather than ugly things? Jesus loves it. The devil hates it. Why do we have things that smell good rather than things that smell putrid? Jesus loves it. The devil hates it. So here is this woman who is completely undone. 
But, and this is very important, Jesus has come to her, come into her territory, come into a sinful place, come into a demonic place. Jesus has made the first move and he's made it in love. And she responds, even though it doesn't seem like a response. Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Right? My daughter is demon-possessed and suffering terribly. Um, And it's so interesting, the words that are used here, kakos. um, This is just miserable or everything is undone or it's, it's evil. It's morally wrong. So it's like, you know, and, and the notion of demon possession, we'd have to go into different bits of that, but it basically means the child is overpowered and so is lost control. So, and if you've, again, if you've had, ever had a child or babysat a child or had a niece or a nephew where um, something happens and they have a seizure, for example, or they begin to choke or they fall down the stairs, any of these things that happen, which are out of control. And then, you know, suddenly faculties are lost and you don't know what to do. That's the feeling this woman has. The problem is she has it day after day after day after day. And this is the sort of thing that grinds her down into fear and despair. It puts her absolutely out of her mind, right? And then this very strange thing. Jesus did not answer a word. So the disciples said, hey, send her away. She's making us uncomfortable. And he says, I'm here for Israel. And she says, help me. And, you know, again, in English, that's kind of a soft word, help me. This is like, this is the the word you would use if you've pulled the fire alarm and Everything, there's there's fire out of all the windows and people are trapped upstairs. This is the this is the word for rescue, for rushing in. This is this is going up the stairs on 9-11 into the World Trade Center. That's what this is. That's the word that is used here. This is, you know, car crash and on fire and kid in the back seat, and you got to get him out because the whole thing's gonna explode. That's that's the word. She's like, my life is ready to be destroyed. And he says, that doesn't seem right, because you're not a Jew. You're a dog. It's actually kind of puppy, you know. It's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. And she says, yes, it is. So he says, I'm for Israel. She says, help me. He says, no. She says, yes, right? Even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Or another way you could say that is, hey, the crumbs are enough. And then Jesus says this thing, which he um, only says about a few people in scriptures. There's, there's, a, there's a 10 or 12 times where he says this, but I think it may be the only time he says it of a Gentile. You've got a huge faith. Mega is the word there. You've got a huge faith. And you can have what you want. And her daughter was healed at that moment. Now, in the weeks to come, I am going to talk about what what happens when people are not healed in the moment, when suffering carries on, when things are chronic. But, you know, at least for the setup, to try to convince you that sin can be forgiven and illness can go away and fear can be stopped, you know, at least this story about someone who was healed immediately. 
So let's sort of break it apart. She's this remarkable person who doesn't have any stature or money. She doesn't have anything to any way, you know, uh, culturally or uh, economically to push Jesus around. She's completely driven by her love for her daughter. And the one thing she says is, um, Kyrie eleison, Lord have mercy, which the church has now absorbed into its vernacular, right? And um, she begs Jesus to love her, you know, to be for her. Um, or in another way to say it, she makes Jesus be her savior. But of course, you know, you all are clever, clever enough to know that she's only making Jesus do what he already came to do. And I wonder if you could think about your own fear and then your own prayers in that way. So often we think about, um, we have to muster up the courage and we have to explain to God exactly what needs to be happening. And, um, you know, we hope that he'll pay attention and, um, maybe if we're extra good or maybe we use just the right word or if it's really long or, you know, we do it a dozen times or 10 dozen times and it'll all work out. You know, what, what we don't understand is that Jesus is there waiting. Like he's listening before we're talking and he's arrived before we start. And the only reason this woman can push him into place is because he's already there right? So from forever, Jesus has already loved her. And from forever, Jesus always wanted her back. And that's true for you. And by the way, it's true for your parents and your kids and all the rest of the prodigals in your family. You know, Jesus wants all his children home. And he loves us so that we will um, love him back. And partly what we've learned over the first weeks is that Nothing can really hurt us. And to be honest with you, um, that's one of the things that can erase fear. And actually you see it, I, you know, early on, I showed you a couple of, like I showed you the thing from the, how they train Navy SEALs and, you know, how they think about, uh, you know, they see it, say it, breathe it, do it basically, right? So you see yourself to the finish. The book that was reviewed this week in the Wall Street Journal was basically you um, kill fear by imagining yourself at the end of the story as a survivor, if you will. Well, in the same way, um, that's already here in this story. You know, if you begin to think God is love and God loves me and perfect love casts out fear and come what may I'm in God's hands, and now think transfiguration. Jesus is always with me. Jesus goes down the mountain with me. Whenever Jesus touches me, he energizes me. He soaks me in divine love. He surrounds me with angels. He makes me invincible. He wants my good and not my bad. Even when I disappoint him, he forgives me. He's there before I ask him. He listens before I talk. And when I pray... He gives me what I ask or something better, right? Over and over and over and over again. The trouble with us is we can't remember that. There's a reason why Jesus says at the Eucharist, do this in remember, remembrance of me. It's, it's because most of us won't remember it till lunch, 
There's a reason why the third commandment is set up so that God will meet us every Sunday. It's because most of us don't have the capacity to remember things for a week. You know, that's the outside boundary. So people who only go to church, you know, at Christmas and at Easter and maybe at a baptism, for goodness sakes, no wonder they're destroyed by fear. No wonder they're always anxious. No wonder they're always worried because they're not getting this touch that this is a, that displaces the fear. Jesus' presence, Jesus' touch, Jesus' love, Jesus' gift displaces the fear. It sort of, it pushes it out of the way in the way that his words push the demon out of the girl, right? In the same way, Jesus' words push your fears out of you. You cannot be destroyed. You're tied to him in the Eucharist, right? You cannot be damned. You have the family name. The Heavenly Father loves you the way he loves his own son. When he looks at you, he sees Jesus, right? This, we forget these things, and so we suffer so much unnecessarily. We waste so much life. Life becomes ugly rather than beautiful. It becomes tense rather than calm and relaxed. It becomes hateful rather than filled with love. It becomes difficult rather than easy. And so, you know, all I can say to you is go to church. The cure is in the ritual, right? The ritual application, the repetitive application. Why is the liturgy always the same? Because over 2,000 years, the church has figured out this is what you need. You're going to come to church and you're going to have all these different needs So we're going to do all these different things. So we touch all the right places, right? We're going to touch you in the ears and we're going to touch you in the mouth and we're going to touch you in the nose. We're going to touch you on the skin, right? We're going to touch you in the memory. We're going to touch you in the heart, right? We're going to act it out with the sign of the cross. Another classic prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. If you can't sleep tonight, do that a hundred times. It'll, it'll change your life. I, you know, I can't, it's, it's a little like this woman. Jesus, we, we don't run on our own steam, but Jesus comes to us and he gives us these gifts. You know, if we don't use the gift, it's on us, right? He, he touches us and he can't untouch us. It's not like you're doing it on your own, but once he touches us, that can't be undone. It's a little like words. Once they hit your eardrums, they can't unhit your eardrums. But you can certainly deny them, reject them, forget them. You know, don't do that. You know, rejoice in the gift that you've been given. And so, you know, finally, this um, bit from Hebrews ten twenty five. People are always like, yeah, I don't really need to go to church. Yeah, you do. You know why you need to go to church? For me, like I'll need to see you on Sunday because you know it hasn't been that great a week so far. We've got a couple of things going before Sunday, and so you know what? I'm going to need a little boost. And I need it from you. And that's what you're meant to give me. Um, it's Jesus and you on Sunday. That's, that's, this is um, Hebrews 10.25. Don't forsake the assembly. Why? I go to church for you. You go to church for me. Because otherwise we end up alone and unloved. So my movie recommendation of the week um, of Gods and Men. I've been waiting for it to come for years, literally for years on either Netflix or Prime. It's never even been on. Um, Suddenly, this week, it appears. um, 
on Amazon Prime. So, and it's free actually of Gods and Men at One at Con, uh, I can. Um, and um, it's the story of, it's actually a true story from the late, like it's 2008 or nine where some monks are um, kidnapped and then beheaded uh, in Morocco from a monastery. But it's extraordinarily well done in terms of the pathos they face in their own fear. But um, the character who is perhaps most deep and almost mo also most sick, um, you know, the whole question is, will they stay or will they go? So one person says to him, will you stay? And he says, I'm not afraid to die. I'm a free man. That's as good as it gets in this life. I'm not afraid, so I'm free. And that's what you get from the church. That's what you get from Christ. That's what you get from love. That's what you get from community. That's the reason to hang together. That's why the last year has been so difficult. That's why the next year will be so great. Um, you know. Um, I preached this text only once in my life to you. Uh, maybe twice, but here's from 17 where I put much more of the Eucharist into it. So I gave you part of that. I went back and read late this afternoon. But um, end of the game is Kyrie eleison. So put that in your quiver of prayers for when you're quite troubled, um, when you're hurt, when you need help. All these little prayers, Lord, help. Lord, it's me, Scott. Lord, as you know and as you will, have mercy. Lord, send angels. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. So in that, you've got, uh, you know, you've got, a, you've got a full line of defense and then something more for uh, going forward into the future. All right, I love you. Let's pray. Kyrie eleison, Lord, have mercy. Amen. All right, um, I took you over again. I didn't actually mean to do that. I'll try to do a little bit better. Um, anyway, you're free to go. If you want to stay in chat, I'm here. But uh, anyway, love you all. Thank you very much. See you at church. Say your prayers tonight.